Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. It's Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 21, on page 9. The Lord's covenant with Abram. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to his righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord. He brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed through the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites. Now, Father, we do thank you for your word, and we do thank you that you speak to us through it. And now we pray, Lord, that your spirit will be at work in our hearts, moving our hearts to, to want to know you deeper, to want to live for you, and to want to live by your promises uh, that you make to us. So we do pray for that uh, in your son's name. Amen. Uh, a few years ago, there was a movie that came out. It was called um, 1917. Who's, who's watched this movie? Not many of you. You guys, like, this is a really, like, I don't like many war movies, but this is one really stood out. Like, it's inspired by true events, uh, Oscar-nominated, and it's, it's cinematically brilliant. It's, it's, it's basically, it looks like it was shot in one take. So the, the camera just follows this uh, character the whole way through. It looks like he just, it doesn't stop. 
And that's how the filming's done. It's really unique, and that's why it was uh, nominated for Oscars. But it, the movie starts in the action. It's 1917, <coughs> World War I. British soldiers are fighting the German army. And there's an, uh, an aerial scout has discovered that a big battalion of British soldiers, about 1,500 men, are about to walk into a trap. So um, there are these two British soldiers, um, I think the Lance Corporal, that's what they're titled, like Lieutenant, Lance Corporal Schofield and Blake. Schofield and Blake, they're the, the guys that we're following. They have to deliver a message to the front line of this battalion, which is going to go into the trap the next morning. And so you can see time is the enemy. That's, that's giving away what it's about. They have time uh, against them. They have to get there by the next morning before they walk into this trap. Now to get there, they have to go through a lot of danger to fulfill that mission. They have to cross no man's land. They have to uh, go through enemy territory. Uh, one of the first dangers is simply having to go through a, a barbed wire fence. And the camera zooms in and you can see like the barbed wire just tear through their flesh. And that's just the start. They go through trenches where there are tripwires and bombs planted. They, they come across German uh, soldiers. They're shot at. They're discouraged. And death is on every corner. But they persevere. These two men know that they have a message to deliver. And they make a promise that they will deliver it. Because this promise, if they fulfill this promise and they deliver this message, they will save, they will save thousands of lives. They put their lives at risk. And it's so inspirational. Oh, you have to watch it. And it's inspirational because the main guy, this guy here, Schofield, he's so heroic. Uh, we're shown he's a man of his word. He doesn't give up when things get hard. He doesn't betray his integrity. He will risk his own life to save the lives of thousands of others and fulfill his promise. Now, what a man, right? I mean, don't we all need more men like that in our lives? All the women, come on. <laughs> Amen. We all need more men like that in our lives. But come on, not just men, people, like men and women who have that sort of integrity. They're people who are, are people of their word and trustworthy to the point that they'll put their life on the line to, to, like, to fulfill their promises. We want to know, right, that our friends and our family and our church, our, our, the people around us, we can trust them, that there will be a people who keep their promises. Now, I don't want to... I don't want to sound cynical, I am cynical, but the more I talk to people, the more I realize that people actually don't have much faith in promises anymore. I mean, we throw the word around so easily, don't we? And too often we hear shallow promises. Uh, through, through multiple disappointments and, and being let down by others, we feel more doubt than trust when someone says, I promise you I'll do this. I, I promise you I'll always be there. I promise you I'll get that project done on time. I promise you. I, I promise you, I'll, I'll remember to pick up some milk on the way home. I promise. And depending on who it is, yes, we might trust their promises. But generally, my observation these days and my guess is it's usually doubt. We feel a bit of doubt when it comes to promises. It's become our default. A man, and I always used to hear this, a man is as good as his word, they say. But we've become this doubting, cynical bunch when it comes to promises. And I wonder, when is it that... I wonder, when you come to God, is that how you feel about Him? Do you believe God is a promise keeper? And how can we be assured that God is a God of His Word? Now, my suspicion is for some of us here, or, or our friends who don't go to church, may think that God seems to, to often come across as, as untrustworthy, that you're not sure whether He's worthy to be, to be followed. Uh, he doesn't always deliver on His Word. You might feel that way about Him that his promises might be sometimes shallow. 
maybe for you, you've yet to see him deliver on any promises in your life. Therefore, he doesn't really seem like worth worshipping like, like other Christians do. I hope today you'll be able to meet the God of the Bible and see that we have a God who doesn't make cheap promises, but a God who will go so far, to, as far as to sacrifice himself so that his promises can be fulfilled. Let's see how this plays out in Genesis 15. I'm going to break it down like this. Our doubt that, our, we have a doubt that questions, a faith that saves, and God's covenant assurance. That's the three points I'm going to look through as we get through this text today. Now, based on what we see in um, this narrative with Abraham, uh, what we're seeing is this Abraham, uh, Abraham and his interaction with God. That's what we're seeing in chapter 15. Just a bit of context. Back in chapter 12, God came to this man, Abraham. He made a promise to him. We're talking this is ancient time, 4,000 or so years ago. He promised Abraham a people. He promised Abraham a land and that he'll be blessed. People, land, and that he'll be blessed, and the nations through him will be blessed. So people, land, blessing. And that theme of promise from chapter 12 all the way to chapter, we're going to 22, uh, will be continued and repeated throughout the series as we trek through Abraham's story in the part, this part of Genesis. It really forms a really important foundation, this theme of promise, hence the title of the series, Living by Promise. Now God shows up to Abraham years after he first appeared, chapter 15, here we are, and he's going to reaffirm those promises. I'm going to pick it up from verse 2. It's good to have your Bibles open so you're following along and you know that what I'm saying is from the text. So verse 2, chapter 15. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. I'll stop there. Last week, Abraham went into battle. He went to fight the five armies, and he won. And you'd think Abraham knows that this God will keep to what he says. He was protected against these armies, and he got given victory. But at the same time, these promises came to him like over 10 years ago by now. And if that amount of time, those years have passed, you can understand, right? Abraham hasn't seen any change in his life. And sure, he might be well looked after and all and protected, but his wife, still barren. They're still childless. She's still unable to get pregnant. And so we get it, right? The natural response at this point for any of us would be doubt. God, are you sure this is going to happen? Are you sure this is even possible? I don't even have one kid, let alone many. We still remain childless. And at this point, it seems like it'll be one of his servants, Eliezer, that will be the one that will inherit his estate after he passes. So God takes him outside. He says, dude, look at the stars. Look at the stars and, and, and tell me if you can count them. That's what your offspring will be like, as numerous as the stars. Now, no one can count the stars one by one, can they? Only God can, and only he knows. But we're seeing that happen in science, aren't we? Humanity is trying. NASA, last year, spent $10 billion. Did you know that? They spent $10 billion on a telescope. It's called the James Webb Space Telescope. You can look it up on Google. Just last month, this is really extraordinary, they discovered a galaxy that existed 13.5 billion years ago. The oldest galaxy the human eye has witnessed, apparently. Incredible discovery. And while that's pretty incredible, God was there forming this all and putting the stars into space before humanity even came into existence. God knows the existence of these faraway galaxies. He created them. But here's the thing. He knows we can only estimate. 
Yeah, the gal our galaxy alone, the Milky Way, has about 200 billion stars, they say. But no one really knows. No one's really counted one by one. God is using this imagery here as a metaphor, putting, putting this unknown amount to Abraham. Look at the stars. As numerous as they are, you won't be, even be able to count them. That's what he's trying to say to Abraham here. But then God makes the promise of land again, doesn't he? So people, land, blessing. He's making the promise of land again. Verse 7, let's read that there. He, sa- he also said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? See, both times Abraham questions God, and we feel it, don't we? God, you're making these gigantic promises. I can't help but feel a little bit of doubt. I am still childless. And the land you promised me is still occupied by these other people groups. How do I know you'll come through with these promises? How do I know that I'll be able to follow, follow through to take this land? He says, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How do I know that I can do this? So the doubts aren't just about God now. They're about himself. I'm not sure I can do that too. I'm not sure I can fulfill the part that I have to play. And at this point, I can't help but be reminded of how that doubt is so real for many of us. Like Abram, we believe God has promised us good, don't we? But many of us often are still waiting. Life is still really hard. I know for many of you here, you've been struggling for so long. Patient for God to show me, to show you what good looks like. I mean, all the blessings that the Bible talks about, the peace, the love, the comfort that we pray for. And like Abraham, the feelings of doubt, they creep in, don't they? Last week I spoke about how it's hard to know what's real these days, what is trustworthy. We are a generation of skeptics. And when it comes to faith and religion, doubt has become so synonymous with it. And so I see all these Christian books out on the, on the Christian bookstores releasing books like Doubt and Faith, Help My Unbelief, uh, A Doubter's Guide to Jesus, Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism. As far back as Abraham even, doubt is part and parcel with our humanity, isn't it? Let's accept that first. <laughs> because I know there, there may be some people here who grew up in, in traditions where you're not allowed to question God. You're not allowed to doubt God. I know, and I've heard some people who've grown up in religious schools, perhaps, or, or families that just didn't allow you to explore. Instead, you were forced to just believe. Here, Abraham questions God. He has doubts about God and about himself. And you'd think God would just clap back, right, at him. You puny, insignificant human, you have no right to question me. I'm God. Do as I say. God could do that. And we'd expect in one sense, because he's God, he has the authority. If he wanted to do that, he could. But that's not the God of the Bible, is it? Our God shows his patience to Abraham in this moment. Let me show you the stars. Let me reassure you that I'll fulfill my promise. Friends, I want to... I want you to see this. I want you to know this about our God. Just because you might have your doubts still and questions, he invites you to still come to him. He wants you to come before him and to ask your questions, but also see that he is trustworthy. And when we can trust him and his word, even well, that's what faith is, isn't it? Where our faith is based on part evidence and part experience, but also on trusting God's very word. Evidence, experience, but trusting as well on his word, even despite our circumstances. Our circumstances. You, you can continue to believe. You can continue to believe even with those moments of doubt. For Abraham here, one, God, uh, 
one, God is speaking to him in his vision, right? So he's experiencing it. He's, experience, he, he's, he's witnessing it. He's experiencing God's power and protection. We still saw that in chapter 14 as well. And now, even though he still has doubts, he's willing to trust. And that's what verse 6 tells us about his faith. <clears throat> verse 6 says, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. This is a huge statement, and it becomes really the foundation of our Christian faith. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. This is a huge statement. It gets repeated again and again in the New Testament. <clears throat> I'm going to turn us to Romans chapter 4, verse 2. It says this, <clears throat> If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, God justified Abraham in this moment based on his faith. Justified means to be made right with God, right? relationally made right. How did God do it? How did Abraham do it? Did he do good works? Was he super obedient? Did he have a great career? Was he uh, made lots of money, gave a lot to charity? Is none of that. His good works didn't make him righteous. His faith did. It was credited to him as righteousness. And this isn't some blind faith, is it? Abraham's faith is based on his experience and his knowledge of God, the character of God. He believes God because he believes God to be trustworthy and faithful to his promises. It's not belief for belief's sake that saves us. It's who we believe in. It's who our faith rests in. It's God, the object of our faith. It's in him, faith in him that makes us righteous. Abraham believes in God and his promises, but God doesn't just stop there. He does give Abraham an assurance, right? So we looked at doubt, we looked at faith, now we're looking at God's assurance. Um, you remember, in, oh, you don't remember, I don't remember. In olden times, though, remember in olden times? That's what I was going to say. Remember in olden times, um, people would send letters or send scrolls, whatever they would do, and they would seal it, right, with, with their stamp, their family emblem, you know, with wax and a stamp. Uh, and that's how things would be done. You'd seal it so you know it's from that person. It's legit, right? Now, God wants to seal this promise to Abraham by making a covenant with him. We looked at the we looked at doubt. We looked at faith. This is how God is reassuring Abraham of his promises with this covenant. Now, in biblical language, in biblical language, covenants are like promises, but a bit more like contracts, like really strong promises, like contracts. Uh, and I want you to understand that God's covenant covenants He makes with His people are essential to understanding the the biblical narrative, the whole Bible uh, that we have. God makes covenant promises throughout. He makes it to Noah, to Moses, to David. Here, it's uh, to Abraham. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant, if you ever want to look this up uh, you know, in academic books and all that. Uh, it really forms a, a backbone to the entire Bible story that culminates in Jesus and the New Covenant. Now, the Bible is all about promise, all about covenant. That's how, that's how, that's how we're going to understand God. Uh, and you might often hear me say, God is a covenant God. That's because of things like here in Genesis chapter 15. Uh, let me explain a bit more about covenant, just for context. In ancient times, a covenant usually happens between a greater kingdom and a smaller kingdom that comes under the rule of that greater kingdom, right? And, and that covenant is usually the terms and stipulations of, of how you're going to live together. It's like a contract. Uh, like the territory, this territory is going to be allotted to your people. Uh, and this is the taxes that you'll pay. And we'll agree to protect you, give you military assistance. And so covenants were made for those reasons, situations like that in ancient times. So what happens for Abraham? Let's read verse 8. Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? 
Verse 9. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Now, we live in a time, don't we, where if we're going to make a contract with someone, it's written down. Right? It's written down. You enter into a contract with with Google or your Apple account, and you click accept terms and conditions. Usually you don't read them, but you accept them when you set up your profile. You enter into a contract with them. Now, you should read the terms and conditions when you can. But when you buy a house, that's more... For many of us, you guys are house hunting. I know many of our young couples here are house hunting. Uh, uh, and Or you're entering into leases as tenants. Uh, and there's a property contract that's given to you. All the conditions of that contract are typed out for you to read. And you sign it, which means you agree to it. You sign on the dotted line. Now, it would be very, very odd, wouldn't it, if your real estate agent, your landlord, said, okay, let's agree to these terms and conditions. Go prepare a heifer, a goat, and a ram, and some chickens, some birds. I mean, imagine that, okay? Uh, or just imagine if you were working, walking down the street and you saw your neighbor with his cow, his goat, his ram outside his house, and he put on a mask, and he's wearing a suit, so he put on an apron over his suit, grabbed a chainsaw, and started sawing his animals into, oh, blood everywhere. That, you'd call the police, wouldn't you? That's like psychopathic behavior, right? It, it's strange to us. It would be strange to us to see that. But this is totally normal in ancient Near East cultures. If you lived during that time and you walked down the street and you saw Abram, hey Abram, and he's sawing up animals in half like this, you'd be like, ah, he's making a covenant with someone. Carry on, keep on walking. Mind your own. Like back in those days, they don't have pen and paper. It was an oral culture. It was an oral culture. Everything was done by speech and action. So this is like a cutting ceremony happening here. It was very common. Uh, and so this is what it looked like. You see these animals, they're cut into, created like an aisle to walk through. Bloody, dead animals. And this action would be very symbolic. Let my words be true that I will keep to my covenant. And if I don't, if I fail to keep my word, let me be punished, torn into, ripped to shreds. May my life be like these animals. It's like a blood oath. Sealed. The covenant, the covenant sealed by blood. Man, don't we wish sometimes the, the people we work with would do this to keep their word, to get their projects done on time, our team members? Wow. But what happens next? It's unexpected, isn't it? Isn't it? Let's read what happens. I'm going to skip down to verse 17. What happens with this, this cutting ceremony? Verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, 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 Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Who's making the covenant? Verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. I'm going to give you another big word today, okay? Theophany. Theophany. Right, you might have heard the word theology, where it's the study of God. Theophany is the appearance or the manifestation of God, a theophany. There are a few theophanies that happen in the Bible. Here's one of them. God appears. And it's spectacular, isn't it? It's nighttime, it's dark, and a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appears. 
Now, I did some research, and those words aren't that simple to translate. It could be a smoking fire pot, or it could be a billowing smoke. Uh, a blazing torch could be like a blazing lightning appeared. Whatever it is, it's spectacular. And, you know, we see lightning in the sky, don't we, when it's storming? And, and it's only ever for a second, and then it vanishes. But imagine this blazing lightning formed and holding its shape, and it passes through these animal pieces. Oh, wow, that'd be spectacular. This is the, the theophany that we're seeing here, an appearance of God in this form. And what is God doing? He's making a blood oath with Abraham. If I don't keep my promises to you, then may I be like these dead, mutilated animals. May I die. Now this should blow our minds. Why? Because in this scenario, what are we seeing? The greater king is making the covenant. But where's the other party? Verse 12 tells us where, where Abraham is. Chapter 15, verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. He's asleep. This isn't just any deep sleep. We're seeing this overwhelming darkness sweeping over him because God is here. And God himself comes to show Abraham that he'll be the one to make this covenant, to fulfill his promise. Abraham doubts God. Abraham doubts God whether God can fulfill his promises. He doubts himself whether he himself will be able to do and obey what God wants of him to take the land. So God shows up in this spectacular way and he makes the covenant with Abraham. And in doing so, he says, I'll keep my side of the covenant and if I fail, let me be like these animals torn in two. And if you fail, or your people, or your descendants, or your offspring, if they fail to fulfill your side of the covenant, let me be like these animals that are torn in two. God is making a covenant, and he alone is the one who fulfills it on behalf of himself and on behalf of Abraham. He signs on the dotted line for both parties. Now, now tell me, what religion or faith or belief system has a God who would make a promise to a mortal like this? To bloody himself and walk through the mud and make a promise that says, I promise to bless you. And if he, God, or the people fail, God himself will take the penalty upon himself. That's absurd. A powerful, majestic God would die for humankind? But isn't that precisely what we see in Jesus? When Jesus goes to the cross, we see a descendant of Abraham, but the Son of God himself get bloodied, his body pierced, sacrificed, killed on our behalf. We see God's covenant promises fulfilled that he will bless his people, he will bless the nations, and he will take the curse, he will take the punishment. So the people who do have faith in him can live, can be blessed, can have that eternal life that God promises through Jesus. And so that's why you can go through the New Testament thousands of years later and pick up this idea in Paul's letters, especially to the Galatians, he writes about this, this very idea that this promise for Abraham is the covenant promises that have been fulfilled. I have it in Galatians 3 verse 6. Let's read it. It says, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Right? We're blessed through faith, that faith in God is the faith that Abraham had in God when God made a covenant with him. If we trust and put our faith in God, we too can be justified. It picks it up in, in verse 26 of Galatians 3 as well. I've got it on the screen, I think. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. 
For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's that promise word again. We're recipients of the blessings of the covenant of Abraham because of our union with Jesus. Our faith unites us to the promise all the way back in Genesis 15. Do you see what I'm trying to say here? This is a richness to the gospel, friends. This is the gospel. The gospel is good news. And I know if I were to ask you what is the gospel, many of us would just would answer simply, yes, Jesus died for our sins, was resurrected from the dead to defeat death and sin, and those who have faith in Christ will be saved. That is the gospel, 100%. Amen. If you're new to Christianity, that is the gospel. I don't want to I don't want to confuse you. But doesn't that gospel truth begin all the way back here in Genesis 15 as well? You know, I've met Christians often, and, and I've, they've asked, why, why do we need the Old Testament e- anymore? Can't we just focus on the Gospels, capital G Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? I mean, that's where we hear about Jesus. That's all we need to know, right? The, the person of Jesus who saves us. But friends, the Gospel of Jesus starts all the way back in Genesis chapter 15. It starts with a promise to a man called Abraham. And when we understand the gravity of this promise, you and I will discover how the gospel is is far from shallow, but rich in depth and meaning. A promise planned thousands of years before Jesus, before Jesus even enters the scene. You see, this is the good news. Here in Genesis 15, God says, I will fulfill these promises to you. And if I don't, or if you fail, I will die for you. Jesus, Jesus dies for Abraham. He dies for Abraham's descendants. He dies for us. We who, like the rest of humanity, fail to perfectly love and obey God, who have broken our relationship with him through our rejection of him, we're saved by Jesus. That curse in the covenant, that curse of cutting the animals, that punishment of being torn into, Jesus took that curse. See, God knew all the way back in Genesis 15 precisely what he was doing. Abraham fell asleep. God walked through this bloody, muddy pathway between dead animals. And when he did that, at that very moment, he was sentencing his son Jesus to death for the sins of humankind. This was God's plan and promise from the beginning. And this is no other but the gracious, kind, and compassion that we see in our God. That Jesus would enter into our world. That he would take the curse that was reserved for us. That he would bleed and die and be sacrificed for humankind so that we and those who have faith in him could be saved. That our faith in him could be credited as righteousness. This is the covenant of grace. Our covenantal God. He is the great promise keeper. But he's also the, the God of grace who acts in love and grace towards his created people. How else can I finish this except by concluding, isn't this a God of his word? A God worthy to be trusted? Will you believe in him? Because when we believe in him, then then the promises that Abraham will be the promises also given to you and to me. We get to be part of his people. We get to receive blessing. There will be a heavenly land that you and I will inherit. Believe in Christ. See that his perfect life was given on your behalf so that he becomes our substitute in our place. We get his righteousness. It's credited to us through faith. You and I are justified, made right with God. 
If you're not a Christian here today, I want to invite you today to believe in this God, to put your trust in him, in his promises for you, to bless you richly in Jesus. There is no greater promise keeper you'll meet in this lifetime. And if you're a Christian, will you embrace the riches of our gospel and live by promise, to walk in step with the Spirit, trusting Jesus with our very lives, knowing God has already met all our needs in him, and to be patient, to be patient, because God's riches, his rich blessings will be poured upon us, not just in this life, but in the life to come as well. Have courage. Take heart. Christ has been raised. God is a God of his word. See that movie, 1917, it wouldn't be a good war movie, a movie about hero, hero, heroism, heroism and courage against all odds if Lance Corporal Schofield just died. It wouldn't be a good ending. If he just died and he wasn't able to deliver the message and then one and a half thousand men, soldiers, died as well. I mean, what kind of movie would that be? I just wasted my time. It's a great story and I'm sort of ruining the ending by telling you that. But it's a great story. It's a great story and it was inspired by true events of runners in the First World War. Runners who had to deliver messages. But that's all it was. A good story. Inspired by true events. In reality, there is no... Schofield, there is no Blake that ran across the enemy territory to deliver a message that saved thousands of soldiers' lives. It's not a true story. That's just the story of 1917, the movie. But there is a story that did happen in history. Thousands of years ago, God made a promise to a man called Abraham, and this God did fulfill his promises. And the result? Millions of lives, as numerous as the stars, have been saved through faith in God's Son, Jesus, who died for sins. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for Christ. We thank you for Jesus who took the curse for us, who died on the cross so that we could live, so that we could receive your promises of blessing and life. We thank you so much, Lord, that you planned this all out from the start, that you knew that we couldn't save ourselves, that we would fail at upholding our end of uh, your covenant that we aren't perfect people, and that sin is innate in all of us, that we will, we will often disobey you and fail, uh, fail in our promises. I do pray, Lord, that you'll help us by your Spirit to see and look to Christ, that he is the one who does it on our behalf, that he is the one uh, who was perfectly faithful to you. Help us, Lord, to trust in him, who is our great substitute, and live in light of that. Help us, Lord, by your Spirit, as we look to Christ, to live in light of in light of um, the, 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 the blessings and grace that we've received in you. And in doing so, help us to be obedient. Help us to be a people, Lord, who do uh, want to honor you and glorify your name, not our own, because you're a God who has fulfilled his promises. You're a God who's worthy to be trusted. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.